In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Joshua for, well, the last time in this series to chapter 24. The curtain falls on Joshua's leadership as he has assembled the Israelites at Shechem. With the promised land secured for the most part and challenges met, Joshua delivers his final address, underscoring the pivotal choice between serving the one true God or following following uh, false idols. Now, this chapter features that famous verse, choose this day whom you will serve. This often misapplied line emphasizes the theme of this chapter, which encapsulates Joshua's legacy, a testament to unwavering faith and obedience, which, of course, we've been talking about for quite some time. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, October 17th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Our guest for this morning is a regular contributor to the show. It's the Reverend John Shank. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Shank. Welcome to the program. Good morning. God's blessings to you. It's always uh, a blessing to be on. It's always wonderful. So thank you for having me on uh, again. Yeah, and I'm great to have you as we wrap up Joshua, a pretty uh, pretty interesting chapter. It's really a continuation of the chapter we did yesterday. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much ready to just to dive in. You want to go ahead and start us off with prayer? Yeah, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, uh, you have um, been faithful in, in all of your love and kindness shown to us. You have fulfilled all of your promises through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Abide with us now by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit that we would be reminded of your faithfulness, that we would all always ponder it, reflect on it, and give thanks, rejoicing in your grace and mercy shown to us so that we, with your great servant, Joshua, may confess that for me and my house, we will always serve the Lord. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if there's really any, I guess, you know, background to cover. I I say we just dive right into the text, uh, unless you have a different idea. Sounds good to me. Okay, so here we go. We're going to go ahead and read uh, just a little bit through chapter 24, starting with verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says Yahweh the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, 
and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to Yahweh, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now we're going to pause there. That's the natural break, at least according to the ESV editors. Uh, that's the end of verse 13. I didn't start with a summary because, well, our section for today starts with a summary, does it not? A, a pretty uh, a pretty lengthy, sum well, I shouldn't say lengthy, a concise summary of the very lengthy activity of God in history. Yeah, that... That uh, that God has been faithful, and that He has been with them, and that He has kept their promises to them. This, this section uh, starts with the kind of it's really connected to the chapter before, as you studied yesterday, where He's been gathering the people there, um, kind of uh, reminding of, of gathering the leaders. And here in this chapter, we'll see that there are more more gathered, more of a whole assembly gathered. Though at the beginning, He kind of mentions uh, the heads, you know the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and the place to which uh, they are gathered is is really important to take notice too, right? He has gathered them uh, to Shechem. And um, a, as we have just after this, a recounting, a, um, a call to remembering what God has done, even just the location where they're at calls them to to remember, remember all the things that have been done at Shechem. It was at um, it was at Shechem that that Abraham Abraham first came into the land of, of Canaan, and it's there that God had promised him that his descendants would have this as their land, um, a promised land to them. And it's there in uh, Genesis twelve that um, Abraham then built uh, built an altar to the Lord. Um, it's there that uh, Jacob. Uh, settled, and and it's there we have uh, Joseph and his brothers. It's it's there um, even before with uh, Joseph and his brothers in the field. Um, Genesis chapter thirty five with uh, Jacob uh, taking the household gods. Remember that part where they took the gods and he he buried them under the oak. Um, so that, that's going to be kind of a, a grand re remembrance of what. Um, what uh, Joshua is calling the people to do. Uh, so then uh, it, 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 there, there's definitely um, more, um, but it is a, a rich place to where they're being gathered. Kind of a, a first thing to kind of catch in this section um, mm -hmm. leading up to what, what, what then Joseph says. Yeah. I mean, obviously 
Joshua is well aware of the historical and sacred significance of Shechem, which is why they're obviously gathering there. And this, like, um, I don't know what we call it, like a historical re recital, this is something that is not uncommon when we see covenants being renewed either. As you pointed right. out so rightly, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to renew the covenant, but just to let you know, here's a ton of examples of how I've kept my side of the covenant. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, you know, he doesn't speak anything so far to the fact that they really haven't done a great job of keeping their side. But, but of course, <laughs> God knows that. Right. Yeah. So this is, you're uh, yeah, spot on about this renewal of the covenant, the, the treaty, the promise between uh, God and his people. And in this covenant, there, there are things that they are called to do. Um, there are covenants that God makes in which it is solely God's doing. Um, and, uh, God will, will bring it about, but then there are, are promises that God gives, but he also put, uh, you know, uh, requirements or speculate or, um, specific uh, actions that the people need to fulfill. So we'll get to, to that, what, what they are called to do. Um, but yeah, there's kind of this, um, order where there's like a, a preamble where the, 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 uh, who is being addressed is, is being gathered up and then a call to remember a, a, a previous relationship. So remember the past events and, and then the actual reestablishment of the covenant or, or of the treaty and where both sides kind of um, make their statements of what, what they are called to do. And then some kind of calling upon uh, God to um, attest to this, to witness to this. And there, there is a witness uh, placed there in this in this uh, in, in Shechem again, um, and um, and then there's like blessings or curses. So yeah, th it's going to follow that structure throughout this chapter. Yes, and you know, as he lists through this recital, they're recalling all the things. You know, one of the things I've lamented, and I'm completely including myself in this statement is how disconnected the church has really become over the years, especially the average Christian, from the Old Testament uh, promises and, of course, the fulfillment of those promises through time. Jesus is a fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of those things, but when we don't have in our forefront all the things that God did kind of on a regular basis— then we tend to forget about them. And, you know, and they come up again in Bible study, and then, oh, yeah, I remember that. I almost think that we should uh, once a year recount these things, maybe more than that, once a month, once a week, uh, you know, recount all of these great things that God has done, because the purpose of remembering God keeping his promises is to strengthen our weak faith for the future, because, well, there are promises yet to be fulfilled, like Christ's return and our new life in the new heavens and the new earth at the at uh, judgment day. There are things, even God keeping care of us throughout the rest of our lives, our promises made by God, they're as sure as anything, but recounting these things could certainly help us, I think. Yeah, and I think that's why I really like uh, the Easter vigil, right? Uh, at the vigil, if, you're, if your church has one, uh, if it doesn't, maybe it's something you can talk to your pastor about. Oh, yes, dear. um bringing to do and and there's ways to adjust it um but um you, you don't have to have a, a three-hour uh vigil in the middle of the night um there's ways that you can make it easier on your pastor and you can offer up um 
you know, to set readers and things like that. So your pastor doesn't, you know, feel overwhelmed doing something new right before, <laughs> right before Easter. Um, but there's ways that you can do it. And there was examples and, and uh, wonderful um, uh, suggestions in the, in the altar book. Um, but yeah, in the Easter vigil, you, we do that as a church. We do exactly what you're saying right. we should be doing. And, and we, yeah, we should probably be doing it more. We should have more vigils, right? We should have more times of remembrance. And really, um, well, let me finish up about the Easter vigil first. And I've got something else yeah, to go say, ahead. but the I Easter vigil, that too. yeah, the Easter vigil where we recount the salvific history of God's people, Right, we kind of we go from the beginning, right? God's creation. We go to the fall. We go to the flood. We go to the valley of the dry bones. We go to all these things. Um, and again, you can you can pick and choose a little bit on how many you want to do um, uh, as you start a, a new practice or something in your church. Um, but it and it could and and then you can have the baptismal remembrance too as part of this. You, you don't have to have. Um, a lengthy reflection. You can have these things be the f- reflection, especially if you're starting it new. And and it is it is a remarkable thing. Um, the only addition I would add to that, I think, that as we see this um, Easter vigil and, and our call to reflect on God's faithfulness, I, I think that maybe a better way for us to understand what is the Sabbath day and h- how is it kept holy and what is it for right? It's not simply not to work anymore. And it's not simply for us to reflect on Saturday, Sabbath day, but to have time in our lives to reflect and to, to meditate on God's faithfulness and what God has done and what he has promised to do. And, and to have, and to, as Paul was talking about in, uh, in Philippians, if you're on a three-year uh, lectionary series, think about these things, right? Um, uh, so we should be called into that as a, a normal part of our daily routine. And then as our weekly routine and as our year, yearly routines too. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to piggyback on your admonition to people to look into this Easter Vigil. I've started that at every congregation that I've served, and it's always been, I want to say, well-received by those who come. You know, we still only have a very small percentage of the congregation show up, and it can be a little lengthy. I've also tried to shorten them up a little bit. and But the truth is, it's such an important thing, kind of like Holy Week. You know, if you're missing out on Holy Week, you're really missing out on a lot now, with that said, of course, you know, there are lots of ways to be reminded of God's promises, and we are reminded of those things all the time in worship. But yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that the uh, Holy Saturday Vigil is an, an excellent practice. And plus, hey, you get to light a bonfire if you go through the whole thing. So that's, that's always fun. <laughs> yeah. um, I know some yeah. people do their fires inside, but we just rebuilt a, a patio at our church, and we put in a a uh, fire ring for lots of purposes, but one of which is for our Saturday Vigil, and it's been really great. So. Um, In any case, uh, let's keep on going. Let's keep on going, because while we get this introduction, this recounting of God's promises, it is for a purpose. And the purpose is, well, a renewal of a covenant suggests that there's something for the people to do, too. And that's what we're going to pick up on with verse 14. Now, therefore, fear Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve Yahweh. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve Yahweh, well, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my household, we will serve Yahweh. We will serve the Lord. All right, I'm going to stop right there. It's only two verses, but obviously, they, you know, they said the thing, right? This is the big verse from this passage. Um, makes great for, you know, if you want to hang a little thing on the wall, right? You just, you know, choose this day whom you will serve. But if you're me and you're growing up down south, you're going to be told that this is a proof text that you have to give your heart to Jesus. You have to make yeah, a decision yeah. for Christ. Yeah. And while I hope everybody out there is choosing Jesus, just know that you're choosing him because of the faith he's given you. But with that aside, there's more context here, more context that kind of takes it a little less applying to us and more to the people of the time. Not that, of course, it doesn't have application for us, but we always have to be very careful to, to not take these great things that sound good and just sort of pull them from their context because they can unfortunately end up with some new meaning. Um, I, it reminds me of a, a thing I saw on Facebook, and it was one of those like uh, verse of the day calendars. I bet you saw it, and it's been out there forever. And one of the days, the, the inspirational quote was, serve me and I will give you all these kingdoms or something to that effect. And it's a quote from Satan, <laughs> and, and he's tempting <laughs> the Lord. But out of context, it sounds so inspirational. Oh, it's from the Bible, and it says, serve me, and I want to serve the Lord. He's going to give me all these things. But it's like less inspirational if you know who actually said it. Well, it's not quite this bad, but this is one of those beautiful verses that unfortunately has lost its meaning in some context. But I'm sure that our, our, our honored guest will explain it to us a little bit. Yeah, you always have to be careful what you buy from like foreign countries. I won't name the country, but but from <laughs> foreign countries that aren't Christian, right? <laughs> and they have an algorithm that they're looking for positive verses from the Bible and they put it for kids. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's not Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would. And I've heard that, too. You know, see this. Uh, choose this day. So we have to choose. Um, but again, if we take the beginning section and, and the context all together, and I think it's good for us to just spend a minute or two talking about it, right? That the, the people uh, were, not a, were not a people, they were just a person and God chose Abraham and made him God's person and made him into a people and made those people, this people, into God's people that they were the the Israelites, right? And and he freed them from the house of slavery and he brought them into a land and he delivered and went before them. Even, um, even you know, we talk about, oh, they had the conquest. Well, it talks about even uh, the hornets, whatever that might be, um, going before them. God went before them and pushed the people out even as they were called to take up arms, right? So God has done all this. Now he is gathering his own people who were already God's people and putting them before him and saying, I did all this and I did all this for you. Serve me. And why are you going to serve me? So um, I, I would say we, we have to understand their place in faith already that they are already. So it's like turning to, to Christians and being like, are you going to remain in the church or not? Are you going to remain right. believing? Or are you going to stumble, fall apart? And, and Paul talks in that way that we don't want to shipwreck our faith. Uh, we want to run with endurance the race that is set before us that 
kind of gives the implication that someone could give up running, right? They could run for some time and stop, give up, or be sidetracked, or stop following, or shipwreck, right? So here, um, this is not to become Abraham. Abraham, before he knew who God was, didn't choose God. God chose him, and his descendants uh, have all these blessings from God, and now they're being called, are you going to serve this God who has been so gracious to you, or are you going to turn away? Are you going to turn back? Which is a constant temptation, not only for the people of Israel, but it's a huge one for the people of Israel to turn back uh, to Egypt and to uh, their hope in foreign nations and foreign gods, or are they going to trust in the Lord and serve him, serve him only? Right. And we see, and, and this is something that we face all the time. You know, I've always said that Lutherans give their heart to Jesus too. They just do it at confirmation. And, and really, we, that is what we do. I mean, we constantly are choosing to serve the Lord. Of course, if you drill down, that choice comes from uh, the faith that God has given us. It's in response to that faith. But Amen. I think you're absolutely right when we're saying the real context of this is about, you know, the temptation to fall away based on, well, your surroundings, based on the people around you. And they have a lot of choices. You know, he's not saying these gods are real. He's just saying, well, technically you have choices. God isn't, right. isn't forcing you to believe. You can harden your hearts against the Lord. And so he says, you know, you can go back to the gods of your fathers. You can go to the gods of the people whose land you took. Or, or you could do what I'm going to do. And, and, of course, that's where that beauty comes in. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve Yahweh. Yeah, and in that, I think there is a, a wonderful way that we can incorporate this into our lives, right? There, there's a wonderful way that we as, as leaders of our own households can hear um, jo uh, uh, Joshua's call in the midst of, uh, you know, gathering our own families into family devotion and saying, look how God has been faithful to you. Uh, before you um, could speak a word, he gathered you to the waters and said, you're going to be mine. You are mine. I, I have washed you clean. I have gathered you up. You pass through this water. And um, the uh, on the other side is uh, is the enemy who has been drowned. And on this side, I have brought you into the promised land of my love and my grace and my mercy. So we can remind our children of God's grace and mercy. And, and we can strongly tell them in the sense of admonition. No, you know, for, for me and my house, that's including you kids, we are going to serve the Lord. You know, there's, there are times where fathers, we as fathers need to be a little bit stronger in the sense of, of saying no to our children because it's for their for their good. No, we're, we're going to gather to to pray. We're going to go to church. We're we're not going to be distracted. We are going um, to not turn to the gods of whatever. You know, you right. can fill in uh, whatever it is that's um, making you fear, love, and trust in something else instead of the Lord alone, and just say no. No, we're going to bury those things. We're going to bury those idols. We're going to destroy them. And, and and God is going to remain supreme, and in that the whole family will um, will be uh, will be blessed. You bring up an excellent point too, which is you know as much as we encourage uh, things like Holy Saturday Vigil, and of course incorporating these things into the message of the church a little more, 
You don't have to wait for that. <laughs> Fathers, mothers, you know, everybody <laughs> tell, tell your children, tell each other, you know, if, if things are getting bad, just sit down and recall all the ways that God has blessed you. And I don't mean just like, oh, well, I guess we have food in the house. That's always good. But look to history. Look how God has taken care of his people as a whole. I mean, that's part of our heritage. You know, as as we see people struggling over, you know, things like, well, a war going on in Israel, there's a lot of questions of, you know, well, you know, do, what do we do with that? Or are they the same Israelites of before? Is the God's promises still valid? Yada, yada, yada. Here's the deal. You're Israel. You are. Everyone who puts their faith, hope, and trust is the true Israel. You are the recipients of God's promises. So when Joshua is speaking, all of these things that happened to the ancestors of the people uh, in Joshua's time, but he's also talking about your ancestors. And, and I think that's something that we've a little bit lost to. Yeah, and there's, you know, I, I often want to think more, um, like, what what about the the husband who's like, Pastor, I'm not trained. I, I don't really know that much. How What am I what am I supposed to do? Um, one, there's an amazing amount of helps out there with study Bibles and things like that and reading plans. Um, but another thing is uh, what what's going on right here through KFUO. You, you can, as as a husband, uh, listen uh, to KFUO and say, you know, honey, I, I, I've listened to this. Can we listen to it together and, and talk about it? There, there are ways in which we can um, be reminded uh, that it's the devil who puts these uh, fears in front of us that ah, I don't know what to say. How can I lead my own family? How can I pray? Well, there are many ways that you can ask your pastor and say, I, I need some help in this. Can you teach me how to pray so that I can pray with my family? There are many things in at uh, CPH and wonderful things here on KFUO that you can do as a family uh, that removes that fear, that removes that thought that I, I've got to come up with it on my own or or do these things. And we can be taught together as a family and, and learn and grow together um, and, and that way you're leading your family um, ultimately to Jesus who teaches us all. Amen to that. And that's exactly the thought that I think we'll just contemplate as we take a break. So folks, we are going to take a break and hear some messages. But when we come back, we're going to hear how the people respond to Joshua's admonition to follow Yahweh alone and a lot more as we finish up the book of Joshua. Folks, don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316.
Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend John Shank. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. And I know that we both thank you for taking the time to be in God's Word with us today. And remember, if you have any questions or comments about today's show or you want to send a message, you can reach out to me by email at pastorboo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell it right. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. There's a couple of us out there, but you'll, you'll recognize me. You can drop a note just to say hi, or you can ask a question. I'll do my best to answer. But when you reach out, let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show. Well, getting right back to the text, uh, brother, we ended with this, uh, well, this admonition, I suppose, is the best way to say it. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. And then, of course, what's often left out is the context. He continues, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Anything else, brother, before we go into how the people responded? Um, no, I think it's, uh, yeah, we can, we can keep going. Let's do it then. Verse 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake Yahweh to serve other gods. For it is Yahweh our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And Yahweh drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve Yahweh, for he is our God. All right, I actually want to pause there, even though it really does kind of break up the climax. But so, so. The people respond, as they often do in these situations, by saying, of course we're going to follow Yahweh. Of course we remember everything he said, and we couldn't think of ever doing anything else. Um, I mean, obviously that's a good thing for them to say those things. They're, you know, they're overwhelmingly in favor of serving the Lord. Good job. But, I mean, we already kind of know. We're not going to get into Judges because we've done Judges a few uh, months ago. But we know from judges, their commitment is pretty short-lived. Yeah. It, it, we don't have to go far before um, we're, we're running into the struggle of, of doing what's right in our own eyes. Um, but the commentary that I was looking at um, was reflecting on the fact, well, let's we've got chapters before this, and we've got chapters that are coming after this that are going to speak of a lack of faithfulness. Um, but we have a faithful man, uh, Joshua, who is a faithful servant of the Lord. And, and a bit at the end, it talks about um, the other people um, being faithful at this time. <laughs> at this time. Um, and, I, and I know we, we could probably dig a little bit and see that they weren't uh, 100%. It's not like, you know, we have a generation that didn't sin or anything like that. It's not true. Um, but we're, we're called into faith faith, um, not that we're perfect. We're called into faith. So here, the people aren't perfect. That's not what he's saying, or that you have to be perfect, but you have to serve the Lord, which is not about uh, their perfection, but about uh, their faith in God's perfection and God's perfect fulfillment of his promises and and of and their trust in the Lord. Um, so, it, and it's that 
I think the other thing that it's good to see here in their response is one that they actually listened is as a pastor, that's always nice. You know, we have a preaching oh, yeah. and they, they heard. So uh, that's good. And that they could actually then apply God's word uh, to their own lives. And, and they don't just repeat exactly what, what uh, Joshua says. They, they take God's word and it's in their lips too. And that's wonderful to see, but that it was, was the calling of God's gracious gospel, the good news of his faithfulness that calls them uh, to add their amens to what God has done. It's not it's not the severeness of the law, but of, of his grace and mercy that calls them to, to say that, yeah, we, we don't want any other gods because there is no other God but this God. There is no one. And and we will have no one. Now, uh, Joshua's response here <laughs> speaks to what you're we saying. We know what happens next. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's actually get into it because then Joshua does something that most pastors would not do. <laughs> he basically calls them on it. Verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve Yahweh, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake Yahweh and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve Yahweh. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen Yahweh to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Well, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, Yahweh, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them as Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of Yahweh. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of Yahweh that he spoke to us. Therefore, it will be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And so Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. So Joshua, in very, um, you know, just tough love, right, basically says, I, no, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. And, and, and if you're going to make a false confession just to turn away, then God's not going to deal kindly with you. But of course, they double down, which makes sense. No, we will. And so he says, okay, okay, you know, but, but still, you know, he, he, he does have his doubts, but I do like, and, and we haven't gotten there quite yet. It's at the end of what I just read, but I, I also like the fact that he includes himself though. I mean, he does say, right, this is a witness against us. I mean, he's to them. That's his job as a leader, but he includes himself. He, he knows his own faults. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, they're clearly not, uh, <laughs> Not perfect in that sense, um, but um, you know, there's there's kind of different ways to take it, you know, because God was very swift in acting uh, when um, in the book of Joshua, when the when the one took uh, took some of the the the, uh, the things that should have been devoted uh, to destruction, right? Um, so, did they have foreign gods? Or is he talking about, um, you know, did they really literally have uh, carved images? Would God have been faithful to them and not 
acted like he did before when they had pieces of, of things that they should not have had, uh, would he have, um, you know, cause before that he did not give them victory, right? He actually gave them defeat. Uh, so did, were they doing that? Uh, or was he talking more in general of their heart put away from you these things because our hearts are always making idols. I, I don't think we're ever going to fully crack that here. Right. We know say, later on, Luth- but I was going to say, if I can be a Lutheran for a moment, I'm, I would, I would tempt, be tempted to say yes. But they're like to both, <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, because we can't treat them as a monolith in the city. When we read the Bible, especially passages like this, we get this kind of idea. And if you were trying to film this and put it on a movie, like, how would you have the people say this? It would be so unnatural for all, I mean, there's tons of these guys. I mean, I know it's mainly the leaders and stuff, but but they're, to all speak in unison would seem unrealistic and it would, would look weird. And I actually don't believe that they all just sort of spoke extemporaneously and, and unanimously the same words as the Bible almost presents it. I think this is sort of a summary of the things that the people said in their discussion with Joshua. You can disagree, but that's kind of how I see it. It doesn't make a lot of sense that everybody just sort of recites the same thing like a musical. With that said, though, I don't think we should treat them as a monolith in the sense that among all the people, they haven't adopted you know, some of the gods of Egypt. We think of the golden calf. Look how easy it was for them. Or, or the fact that some of the gods they ran into, they just sort of put on the shelf with their gods. In the same way that if you go to a Lutheran church, you can't expect that every single person in the pew is going to you know, think like a Lutheran, you know, you're glad they're there. You're glad they publicly confess the same, but the goal is for us to move closer and closer to being, you, you know, uh, relying on Christ and understanding and maturing in his faith, but not everybody's at the same place. So I, anyway, I, hopefully you'll be able to correct me if I'm wrong with about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I'm just uh, recounting uh, chapter seven, right, with Achan. You know, there was one individual out of the whole <laughs> whole assembly of everyone who took something that he was not supposed to take. And God yeah, that's true. called them all out, right? Um, and um, God reacted when... Um, you know the uh, with uh, with Jacob and in, in the in the taking of those foreign gods, and he had to do something, right? Um, when Moses's sons were not circumcised, he he acted. Now, you totally agree with you uh, in the sense that we don't have a monolith, in the sense that everyone uh, was a believer. I, I don't. I yeah. I, I think the totality of Scripture would point that there is going to be a mixture of these things until the day of the Lord, because we can't judge the heart. Um, and I think that's ultimately what Joshua is going. Because if there is somebody with uh, a, a deity, uh, you know, a carved image somewhere in the whole assembly, the greater problem is the heart, anyways, right? And I totally agree with that. Right. That there is someone out there called all of us that are struggling with these realities in our hearts. And and that's ultimately what God wants to claim. He desires your hearts and not just outward. Well, no, no, no. We got rid of all the, the actual, uh, you know, carved images, but my heart, you know, my heart makes new ones every day. So he's, he's going after that. So, I mean, I, yeah, maybe there's someone, maybe there's not, but yeah. Well, like I know, I know Christians who might have like as a decoration, a, 
uh, I don't know, an, an Ankh or something from Egypt, you know, it, and it's, it's decorative, it's historical, you kind of think about it, but you're not serving it, you're not worshiping it, you think nothing more than just, oh, it's, you know, it looks like a cat, you know, it's the god, one of the gods of Egypt, it's interesting, or a Buddha statue, you know, I, and, and I know there's probably some opinions out there whether that's appropriate or not, but my point is, I think it's possible to possess such a thing and not put your faith, hope, and trust in the god that it represents, the false god it represents. Um, so at the same time, That's true too, yeah, yeah. So at the same time, I think that maybe, you know, like the one guy who who hid away the things for destruction, I think there was a God included. No, that was something somewhere else. But still, he's disobeying God. It's the heart of the matter, which is the point. So I agree with you wholeheartedly yeah. that Joshua's main point is when he says remove the gods. He's not necessarily saying, well, you need to sweep the house clean of all the things that might be representative of a god. He's genuinely saying, look at what you're saying. You're choosing this day to follow Yahweh, but Yahweh's real. Yahweh's the one who did these things for us. Yahweh is jealous. And see, I love that word. We've lost a little bit of the distinctions. I think even the dictionaries now make them pretty much synonymous. But, you know, to be envious is to want something that someone else has. To be jealous is to be afraid that someone is going to take something from you. And so we always talk about jealousy as like, oh, I really, I'm jealous of that you have that. Well, that's not really what jealousy means. So when it says God is jealous, that's what he means. He he wants his people for himself. He doesn't want them to wander off. And that jealousy comes out of love. Um, and it's, of course, not a sinful jealousy like we might display. But still, sure. he's saying, listen, if you guys are saying one thing with your mouths, but then going to planning on going off and doing another thing, then just know that. Unlike the false gods around us, the one true God is not going to put up with that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's uh, 100% true. Yep. Well, what else can we pull from this chapter then? We'll shift gears. Are you reading further or are you? (laughs) Okay. I did, sure. Uh, I I figured uh, there was more to mine from this section. Yeah, in in this section where um, then they put up uh, a monument, I think that that is that is a, a an, an interesting reminder that of these um, monumental monumental moments, um, there's often oh, you know, hey, we crossed crossed over the Jordan, we put up a monument of God's actions. Here we put up a monument that it is it is good that we have places. Uh, that we can reflect on God's God's mercy. Um, we have a place, you know, we have a church that we come and we say we're going to gather here to reflect on God's mercy. And here this monument would be a lasting, uh, a lasting sign that God heard them and then would bear witness against them, right? So the stone itself would, uh, would uh, bear witness that God uh, was faithful so are we going to then remain faithful? So what they put up uh, would stand and e- even have to stand against them because we know that they will fall away, but he will stand against them. Um, and hopefully there are, you know, we can be reminded of the faithful remnant there. The remnant may be within their group that's not being faithful to, on the sense of being an unbeliever, not just individual sins. We all have individual sins, but not actually believing what they're saying or what is being said on their behalf. Um, Here we've got a monument that will stand up as a sign that God was faithful. And we made a promise 
uh, to serve him, to believe and to trust in him. Uh, so that will be uh, a sign uh, for and against and against them. Well, you bring up another point too, which is that the whole people of Israel aren't gathered. These are the leaders. And so I think something could be said about the responsibility of leaders, whether you're the head of your household, whether you're the head of a congregation, frankly, whether you have employees, whether you have any influence over people at all. I think that you have a, an onus upon yourself to do things according to God's will. So they were making these statements on behalf of the people in their charge, and that means that they now had a responsibility to go and basically be Joshua's to the people. And that's very much a depiction of how Christ sets up his church. Yeah, and and uh, and his household, you know, like, yeah, it uh, it flows out out from his son to all the aspects of our vocations and of our calling. So, yeah, we have a responsibility. Our ultimate responsibility is our faith to our Lord. And in that faith and trust to our Lord, in that identity, I am a, a Christian, I am baptized. Um, then that calls me into different, different, um, different aspects of life. How am I going to be a, a child of God as a husband or as a wife, as a mother, as a father, like you said, as, as an owner of a business or as a worker here, um, as a uh, mayor of a town or, or not. So, um, yeah, we, we have a lot of responsibilities, but all those responsibilities uh, fall on their knees to the one responsibility to serve the Lord first and foremost. Absolutely agree. So we'll go ahead and move on now to what happens next with verse 29 through 33. It also ends our chapter, also ends the book. Here we go. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gaash. Israel served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that Yahweh did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. And that's how the whole book ends. It ends with the death of Joshua, the bones of Joseph being buried, and the death of Eleazar. Um, not the most cheerful way to, to, uh, to end a book, but, but you know, at the same time, it reminds us that life goes on, but the, the legacy of their leadership and their faithfulness to God, of course, will continue. Yeah, and I don't—so um, I think we need to, um, to break it down a little bit, because it, it, it would appear that we're just ending with death, um, but I think— the scriptures intend us to be reminded that we're actually ending with the promise of life. Um, so uh, Joshua dies at 110, and that's really uh, to bring us back and connect uh, Joshua to his uh, forefather, uh, to Joseph, because he is a descendant of uh, Joseph. He is uh, um, from Ephraim, and uh, so that's why he is, is buried there. 
Um, but then that connects us pretty quickly uh, to the bringing up of, of Joseph uh, because they take, remember when Joseph is dying at the end of, of Genesis and he tells them, you know, that God will deliver them by mighty act. He will, he will uh, deliver you. And when he, when he does uh, take my bones, <laughs> take my bones with you and bury me uh, there in the promised land. So he was holding to the promise one uh, that God would fulfill his promise and take his people uh, to, to uh, possess the land that he had promised to give to them. Um, and then if uh, he is saying, take my bones with you, like, why, why would that even matter? Just, why does he just encourage them? Hey, one day God's going to take you there, but it's because he's clinging to the promise of the resurrection, not that his bones need to be there in order to be raised. Um, but that he wants to lay with his sleep rest with his forefathers uh, because he will be raised with them, right? Um, so there's this great sign of the resurrection. And where was that? Where 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 was it? What it was at, at Shechem, you know, and uh, and the you know the connection to that Jacob bought this land, and now it is an inheritance for the descendants of Joseph. And then we also have Eliezer. Uh, well, can I actually? Of, I want to interject. Of, I want to interject because yeah, something about Joseph. One, and you're absolutely right. And I love how you've I, spun's the wrong word. I love how you've revealed that that's an aspect that I didn't see. But I also think that another advantage to them hauling Joseph's bones around is for the time when people go, "Why are we doing this? Why are we hauling him around everywhere?" So that then someone can say, "Because all the th great things you said." Because there's a resurrection, because God's promises are going to come true. But just imagine hauling them around, and every now and then, you know, there's going to be a little committee that says, well, I think we should probably go ahead and just bury these bones, and nope, nope, because <laughs> there is there is, a, there is a hope for the future. But anyway, yeah, I love, though, that you're bringing that bound yeah. around to the resurrection, because, yeah, that's, that's and, perfect. And Joseph as a person, I mean, his whole story is a death and resurrection story, right? You know, he was, you know— a very favored uh, son, and then brought low. He was put down into the pit, then taken up, raised up out of it, then brought low into slavery, then raised up in it, and then brought low into prison, then raised up from it. And then even brought low into death, but then raised up from death into the promised land. And that's our hope too, right? We we are, our life, your life is a death and resurrection life in the, in the sense of being brought down in the waters of baptism, brought up into the resurrection, maybe even brought low in the time of struggle, but being brought up in the promises of God, which are greater than our current circumstances. And even when we're brought low into our own graves, we will be raised up from them to the promised land of everlasting life, which is so far far greater than than Cana, uh, but it is um, what God, our our Lord, is doing through Jesus. Um, yeah, Joseph is, and Jesus uh, are are connected in their in their name. Remember, uh, you will call his name Jesus, where he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, or, or sorry, uh, Joshua, is a, a deliverance. He is a person of that uh, God uses to deliver and save his people. And here Jesus comes uh, to be our ultimate deliverer, to, to not just bring us into a promised land, a piece of, of, of uh, a property, a nation, uh, but to bring us into the promised land of the resurrection, a new heaven and a new earth. Um, so, yeah, we have great promises that are, are here, but it looks like, yeah, we only have death. But it's like, no, we have the promise of 
of life behind all these things. And they're all clinging to it. That's why they're so uh, rejoicing. And there are solemn, it's a solemn section, right? Um, but it, it, it's not, it's not defeat. They're not defeated either, are they? Yeah, solemn doesn't mean sad. Solemn means just no. you're taking in the uh, the gravitas of the situation, you know. And I know yeah. this is stretching it a little too far, but I can't help but just think, you know, you have Joshua, this this prophet of God, and he's died, and then you have Joseph, who was a prince of Egypt, a king essentially almost, and then you have Eleazar the priest. So you have a prophet, priest, and king right here at the end. And of course, Joseph is a great type of Christ, and so is Joshua. Um, everything's pointing to Jesus. You can't help it. Yeah, and they're in, and it's all about the inheritance, right? Um, that uh, this became an inheritance to Joseph's uh, descendants. And Eliezer, faithful high priest, uh, son of Aaron. Aaron was a faithful high priest uh, with uh, in the service of Moses, right? And and then he dies and is buried, um, and and he's in the hill country of Ephraim, right? So um, all these uh, fulfillments and, and Eliezer is used uh, to to break up and to divide out the land as his role uh, as high priest, um, and that's all inheritance. And that's all grace. <laughs> so this whole section through, you know, I know that there's a lot of struggle as we go through um, Joshua in the sense of devoting to destruction and all the things you've had to deal with, I am sure. Right. Um, but throughout it, we have to see God's grace, that God is gracious to his promises. God fulfills his promise. You can put your hope, your trust in God's promise. And ultimately here, there is a promise of an inheritance that he actually does give out. Not because they're so great. In fact, we've kind of been struggling. Like, how do we answer these things? Because we we know ourselves and we know we we don't always serve the lord we we serve ourselves we don't always serve the lord we we serve our own appetites our own desires our own passions our own idols that we face and we are our own greatest idol um our own false god that we make of ourselves that we devote ourselves to and so we struggle with that when we look at hey they're making these promises but in the end god is the one who fulfills his promise and he gives his inheritance so that you can read the end here of Joshua and be filled with great encouragement to be reminded that God has been so gracious in creating this world for us to live in, giving us our daily bread and ultimately giving us the daily bread of heaven, Jesus, who comes to us, who feeds and nourishes us and gives us that promise that you will have an inheritance because he is the son of God. He makes you in your baptism, sons and daughters of the most high, and you have an inheritance, a kingdom, which is everlasting. What a blessing to have that at the end of this chapter. Agreed, and that's how we'll end this chapter and this book, and I'm glad you were here to end it with us. It's the Reverend John Shank. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show again. Thank you always. It's always a lot of fun. So, folks, tomorrow and Thursday, well, we'll be opening up the Book of Jonah, a brand new topic covering all four chapters in two episodes. The story of Jonah is one of the most fascinating in the Bible, yet it's also one of the most perplexing. God called, but Jonah ran the other way. You know the story. But there's so much more to Jonah's tale than a big fish story, right? 
Jonah wrestled with a merciful God as he delivered a message of repentance to Israel's enemies in Nineveh. But why did Jonah resist God's call? And of course, how did the people of Nineveh respond? What do we make of this bitter prophet who would rather die than see his enemies receive grace? We're going to dig deeper into this odd but meaningful story of rebellion and redemption and the radical compassion of God that extends to all people. And we're going to do that over the next two days. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.